Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, I want to thank all of you for dropping into my DMs and sending me Facebook messages or emails and just letting me know that you appreciated the episode last time about CRT and that you are indeed wrestling with those things in your own community and just the call to biblical justice and how you are working that out in your own lives. I always love to get listener feedback and even better, I love to receive ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting platforms. So if you don't mind taking a minute to do that, I would be so grateful. It will help other people find all things. Well, today we are going to dive into all things Olympics. And so in some ways, this episode is going to be a little more lighthearted than usual, not taking on something really in-depth, although we are going to cover a few headlines that will make us think about things and life from a biblical perspective. But I just wanted to kind of enjoy this moment because today, when this airs actually, That will be the opening ceremonies for the Tokyo Olympics, which should have aired or should have gone on last year, 2020. But here we are, summer of 2021. This is the first time ever in Olympics history that they have been postponed. Now, in the past, the Olympics have been canceled, but this is the first time they've ever been postponed. So assuming that in the next 36 hours, the Olympics don't get called off or something else doesn't happen, um, when you hear this, we will all be looking forward to the opening ceremonies this evening. My family loves to watch the Olympics. Now, we have lived overseas on three different continents, so together we all sit around the TV and we cheer for various countries. Sometimes one kid feels more allegiance to one country than another, and so they'll cheer for Japan or maybe vice versa with the Czech Republic. But at the end of the day, most of us are rallying for the USA. So I thought it'd be fun today to just talk about all things Olympics, Olympic trivia, history, headlines, those kinds of things. So you probably already know that the Olympics are ancient. In fact, the the first ones held were in 776 BC, an ancient Greek festival which celebrated Zeus. And of course, there were things like wrestling, boxing, long jump, javelin, discus, chariot racing. And the Olympics back then lasted for several months. So we definitely don't have chariot racing anymore, although I do think we have those other things. Um, The Olympic flag, you're probably very familiar with it. There are five rings. They are linked together, and those five rings are meant to symbolize the linking of the five land masses. So America, both the uh, southern and northern are linked in that. America, Asia, Europe, Africa, and Oceania, which includes Australia and other nations in the South Pacific. So that's what those five rings are for. Didn't know that till today. In this particular Olympics, they are expecting about 11,000 Olympians and 4,400 Paralympians from 206 nations. They are expected, um, along with tens of thousands of officials, judges, administrators, sponsors, broadcasters, and media. So the 206 nations represents actually 205 National Olympic Committees and the IOC Refugee Olympic Team. So the first time that we ever had a refugee team was back in 2016. So This is the second Summer Olympics with a refugee team. The 2020 or 2021 team is made up of 29 athletes from Syria, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Congo, Eritrea, Venezuela, Iran, DR Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Cameroon, and Iraq. 
And those refugees are participating in things like swimming, badminton, boxing, canoeing, cycling, judo, karate, shooting, taekwondo, weightlifting, and wrestling. So that is awesome. I love to see that there is a space for refugees on the in the Olympics. There are going to be 33 sports and 46 disciplines in this particular um, Olympics, and that includes 339 total events where athletes can earn a medal. Now, the most decorated Olympian of all time is swimmer Michael Phelps. He won 28 total medals across four Olympics, including 23 gold medals. In second place is a Russian gymnast with 18 medals. So Michael Phelps, really astonishing. He is way out in front. The United States enters this summer games in Tokyo with over 2,800 medals ever. Russia's right behind us with 1,910, then Germany with over 1,700, and Great Britain with over 880. I thought this was super interesting. Golf has been gone from the Olympics for 112 years, but it made a comeback in 2016 in Rio, and it's going to be there again this year. So golf back on the scene once again. And did you guys know there are four new sports in this year's Olympics? So those four are surfing, sport climbing, that means rock climbing, karate, and skateboarding. So I'll be particularly interested in the sport climbing because there are two athletes from Colorado participating in that. Also this year, baseball and softball are returning to the Olympics for the first time since 2008. So they've been on a break, but they are back because they are very popular in Japan. So the IOC has a rule that host cities can add sports based on local popularity, but baseball and softball are not going to be included again in 2024 when the summer games are in Paris. Neither will karate. I guess those two things don't rate quite as well in France. Um, so interesting about females, in the 2012 London Games, those, that was the first Olympics ever in which all participating nations sent female athletes. Very cool. And I was interested to read that it has taken over a century, over a hundred years, for the percentage of athletes in the Olympics that are female to go from 2% to 48%. So now 48% of athletes are female, but over 100 years ago, only 2% was. So love to see that women all over the world are participating in greater numbers in our um, Olympic Games. Okay, so moving on from just general Olympic trivia and fun facts, let's talk about Japan and Tokyo trivia. So Tokyo hosted the Summer Olympics in 1964, but they were actually held in October because the weather was better. If you've ever been in Tokyo in the summer, you know it's very hot and humid. So back in 64, they just waited for October for the Olympic Games to be held. Um, let's see, the 1964 Games in Tokyo was the first time that they were ever held in Asia. The 1972 Winter Olympics were in Sapporo, and the 1998 Winter Olympics were in Nagano. So the Tokyo 2020 Games will be the fourth time that the Olympics are in Japan. And this makes Tokyo the only Asian city to host the Summer Games twice so far. In 1940, Tokyo was supposed to host the Olympics, but as you might imagine, they were canceled because of World War II. So here's some fun things about what's going on in Tokyo for the Olympics. So the um, Japan National Stadium made for this particular Olympics is made from wood that was sourced from all of Japan's 47 prefectures. The architect has described the structure as a living tree. 
Um, Japan is really trying to focus on sustainability in this particular Olympics, so they are going to be repurposing a number of the venues that were used in the 1964 Games, which is cool. I found it interesting that items such as podiums, uniforms, and medals are all made from recycled materials. We're going to talk more about those medals in just a minute. But get this, even the beds at the Olympic Village are made from cardboard and they are going to be recycled after the games. Now, the 5,000 Olympic medals that are going to be distributed are made from precious metals that were extracted from disused electronic devices. So prior to the games, Japan had a collection drive throughout the country for two years, from April 2017 to March 2019. They asked people to donate their disused electronics, such as mobile phones, to contribute to the production of their metals. And they got 6.21 million mobile phones for the, for the collection. And that is what their, um, the gold, silver, and bronze medals are made from. So that's super interesting. So Tokyo, you know, is a big city, but did you know it's the biggest city in the world with over 37 million people? Coming in second, it's Jakarta, Indonesia, with about 35 million. Delhi, India is ranked third with about 30 million people. The Shinjuku station in Tokyo receives, so it's a train station, subway station, it receives an estimate of 3.5 million commuters every day. So 3.5 million people are going through that station every day, making it the busiest station in the world. And maybe you've heard of Shibuya Crossing. This is the world's busiest intersection. And I've actually been there, seen it with my own eyes. It's almost too hard to believe so many people. At peak travel times, um, the crossing, which contains five massive sidewalks, you can see thousands of people, visitors, commuters walking across. So at Shibuya Crossing, 2.4 million people cross the street every day and roughly 2,500 people cross every time. Just picture a crosswalk in your city and imagine 2,500 people crossing the street at one time. Now, you probably know this, moving on from sort of fun and trivial to a little more serious, the Tokyo games have not been without controversy. Now, when I um, read, I collected dozens of articles, listened to dozens of podcasts, just really diving, taking a deep dive into these Tokyo Olympics. And I have to say, Olympic historians are quick to say that every Olympic game has been riddled by some controversy or some global event, some concern. But of course, they all used that word. This one is unprecedented. Unprecedented, unprecedented, so more controversy than usual. Of course, long ago, there was controversy about maybe corruption when um, Japan made the bid for the Olympics. The cost of the stadium was of question. There was plagiarism with the logo. And then, of course, we got slapped with COVID in 2020. So COVID is sort of the big like question mark hanging over this Olympic Games. About one in eight unpaid volunteers from the, for the Tokyo Olympics say they are dropping out because they are worried about COVID in the games. A state of emergency is in effect in Tokyo until August 22nd. This means that when the Olympics open this Friday and run through August 8th, they will be held under emergency measures, at least in the city of Tokyo. Other regions will allow small crowds to gather, but crowds are not going to be allowed at all in Tokyo. So the main focus of this emergency, this state of emergency that has been declared, is for bars, restaurants, karaoke parlors to not serve alcohol. So they want a ban on serving alcohol. It's one of the key steps in trying to tone down
around Olympic related festivities and keep people from drinking and partying and being close to one another and spreading COVID to each other. Tokyo residents are expected to stay home and watch everything on TV. So as of this recording, again, 36 hours before this episode goes live, maybe 48 hours before the um, opening ceremonies, what we know is that the Olympics are pushing ahead. Um, The reality is that many medical voices in Japan warn against it, advise against it, but they are going for it. The weekly average of COVID cases has been steadily increasing over the past month in Tokyo, but they are going ahead with it anyway. Um, Although I will say the head of the Tokyo 2020 organizing committee has still not ruled out canceling the games in light of rising infections. So that will be wild if in 48 hours the games are actually canceled or if they're called off in the middle. Hopefully not. Um, But I, I don't think any of us are willing to say never anymore, are we? So data collected by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, shows that as of July 21st, a total of 75 COVID cases have been recorded since July 1st linked to the Olympics. Now, of course, that was expected. 75 cases linked to the Olympics. That's been expected. You know, this is not a scare necessarily. They knew this was coming and there's measures in place to limit the spread. Um, You may have even heard that an alternate on the USA women's artistic gymnastics team tested positive for COVID-19, and she's now being quarantined in a hotel in Tokyo. The IOC says that more than 80% of residents of the Olympic Village will be vaccinated. So I was kind of surprised that it's only 80%, thought it would surely be 100, but um, there we go, 80% will be vaccinated. This will be the first time since 1988 that condoms are not being handed out in the Olympic Village. So that's interesting. Uh, Of course, the goal is that people would not be spending time together. Everyone in Olympic Village has to get tested every day. And spectators, the very few spectators who are going to be at events, are not allowed to shout or sing or to really express themselves. They are only allowed to clap their hands politely. So in broader Japan, as of July 19th, only 22% of the Japanese population is fully vaccinated. In March, close to 80% of Japanese wanted the Olympic Games canceled. Um, I don't have, didn't, couldn't find a study more current than that, but in March, 80% wanted it canceled. As of just a couple days ago, 22% are fully vaccinated. So um, as I've even had this conversation personally with other people, because I did live in Japan for a decade, people are like, why are the Japanese so slow to get vaccinated? That doesn't really make sense. It seems like a culture that's really um, organized and fast moving. Why aren't they getting vaccinated more quickly? Well, I think there's a few reasons and some podcasts I listened to um, said the same thing. There was definitely a hesitancy in the nation about the quality of vaccines. And so the health ministry wanted to do in-depth testing in their country. So while the rest of us were getting vaccinated, they were still conducting tests. Um, They negotiated supply from Pfizer, for example, but they didn't negotiate to have the entire supply until the end of this coming, uh, the end of 2021. So They don't even have the full supply that they need. And Japan tends to be very bureaucratic. Um, Only doctors and nurses can give the vaccines. And I I always share with people, you know, we were involved in Japanese healthcare and um, paid Japanese taxes and went into, you know, city hall and town hall and and participated in many Japanese um, government requirements. And it's true. It is a very organized, methodical, sort of slow and careful um, nation that wants to be really intense 
intentional with each step that it takes with each person. So um, whereas we here in the U.S. can just walk into Walmart or the grocery store or CVS and get a shot, there you cannot. You've got to go to your doctor and to get the vaccine. Um, so even though it seems like most Japanese, I mean, as of March, 80% wanted to cancel the Olympic Games, the government of Japan has decided the show must go on. And that's for multiple reasons. One is that they really want to show that, you know, Japan has rebounded. It's been a tough decade for Japan. You might recall that back in 2011, we had that massive earthquake and the tsunami and the nuclear meltdown, just so many awful tragedies one after the other happened just a decade ago. And Japan is eager to show that a lot of healing has taken place and life is back to normal. Of course, Japan would like to be the first post-pandemic games. If it's not Japan, it'll be China. And I'm sure that Japan would like to um, grab that headline that the first post-pandemic Olympics happened there in Tokyo. Of course, Japan is on the hook for all kinds of contracts with the IOC. There will be huge fines to pay if Japan backs out. They will end up probably having to pay billions of dollars to the IOC if they decide not to have it. The IOC is eager to continue with the games because of their income flow. They get about 75% of their income, the IOC income, from selling broadcast rights. So they've got to have the games so they can broadcast them so they can make their income. And estimates suggest they would lose $3 billion, maybe $4 billion if the Olympics were canceled. Now, just a couple days ago, Toyota, the car company, it's the Tokyo Games' biggest benefactor and the supplier of thousands of vehicles that the athletes and organizers have been using to get around. Toyota decided to remove their advertisements that they had made for their domestic audience, ads that were going to be seen on Japanese TV. So no doubt this was a public relations move as Toyota didn't want to be seen contradicting the public, which is opposed to the games going on. There's fears that arriving athletes and others are going to inflame the pandemic, and that's just the concern of the Japanese citizen, and Toyota did not want to be seen as sort of aligning themselves or, or, or going against those fears of the population. But even as the Japanese government talks about having triumph over the pandemic, the people on the streets just really aren't seeing that triumph. And there's a lot of protesting going on, petitions being passed. People seem to be scared and even angry that the Olympic Games are continuing. So, And I know that's obviously a generalization, but it does sound like from um, recent studies anyway that that's the majority of the country. So certainly kind of an interesting social um, situation that we're moving into is the Games Open and the host country which is normally so excited and parties are planned and th everything's so festive and celebratory. It's sort of the opposite situation. So, all right, let's move into a few headlines, four headlines in particular, that I have been really interested in following as they've developed over the last month or so. So these are headlines deleted, related to the Tokyo Games. The first headline comes out of New Zealand. Weightlifter Laurel Hubbard is going to be the first transgender athlete to compete at the Olympics after being selected by New Zealand for the women's event at the Tokyo Games. So Laurel is a 43-year-old, and she will be the oldest lifter at the Games. She's a biological man. She used to compete in men's weightlifting comp competitions before she transitioned in 2013. Hubbard has been eligible to compete at the Olympics since 2015 when the IOC issued guidelines allowing any transgender athlete to compete as a woman 
as long as their testosterone levels are below 10 nanomoles per liter for at least 12 months before their first competition. So as long as Hubbard's testosterone levels are low, she can be considered a woman even though she's a biological man. Not surprisingly, for females transitioning to male, there are no rules regarding participating in the Olympics. Now, Save Women's Sport Australasia, this is a group that's opposed to transgender women competing in women's sports. They say that Hubbard selection was allowed by flawed policy from the IOC. The group's co-founder, Catherine Devies, said in an interview, males do have a performance advantage that is based on their biological sex. They outperform us on every single metric, speed, stamina, strength. Picking testosterone is a red herring. We are forgetting about the anatomy, the faster twitch muscle, the bigger organs. And I would just add to that quote, uh, bigger bone density and muscle mass as well. Former New Zealand weightlifter Tracy Lambrex said, and it's unfortunate that some female somewhere is like, well, I'm going to miss out on going to the Olympics on achieving my dream, representing my country because a transgendered athlete is able to compete. Hubbard has already taken home some gold medals from the 2019 Pacific Games in Samoa, where she competed as a female. So I just find it sort of disheartening, as I said at the beginning of this video, uh, this podcast, it took over 100 years to go from 2% participation on behalf of females up to 48% participation. But this feels like a massive regression to me and even a slap in the face to women's sports. The IOC ruling sort of feels nonsensical. And as we continue to say in so many, for so many reasons around the globe, the emperor has no clothes. And I'm just wondering, where are the feminists? Because this seems to be a big step backward in terms of female participation in global sports. Okay, well, moving on from New Zealand and moving on from transgender sports. Um, next two headlines, they feel a little bit less cut and dried than the last one. Obviously, the Laurel Hubbard situation, from my perspective, is really unfair. Um, but these next two headlines, they, they require us to wrestle just with some deeper issues. But both headlines are related to doping. So before I even share the headlines, I want to say I listened to a few experts on an Economist podcast, and I'll link that show in my notes, um, but just really curious about doping in 2021. It's obviously increasingly hard to detect. There is a lot of money and fame and status at stake, and everyone in an athlete's community stands to reap the benefits of a win. So a lot of people are interested in an athlete taking a risk and doping so that they might be more likely to win. Um, now, researchers say that when athletes are tested, you know, when, when a urine or blood sample is taken, those kinds of tests only reveal that about 1% of athletes dope. But when there's a survey done that allows for total and complete anonymity, in other words, there's no way the researcher can tell who answered the question, and the surveys ask athletes to just admit to doping without any fear of retribution from their response on the survey, that kind of survey reveals that anywhere from 7% up to sometimes 40 or 50%, depending on the sport, of athletes are doping. So it's a huge problem um, because it's getting increasingly subtle, increasingly sneaky. There are substances that um, are, you know, can enhance your performance and then quickly disappear from your body. But anabolic steroids, for example, can improve the performance in women by 10%, 9% at a minimum. So a 9% or 10% improvement for a female, I mean, that is the difference between not even qualifying for the Olympics and getting a gold 
So doping is obviously a very frustrating situation for athletes who don't do it because they know that they're up against people who do, and it gives them a tremendous advantage. Now, WADA, W-A-D-A, World Anti-Doping Agency, that's the um, institution that's in charge of the Olympics rules and regulations and testing. So urine testing is the primary way that they detect drug use. Um, Secondary testing is sometimes blood tests as well. Testing happens during competitions and outside of competitions, so during the Olympics as well as off years. Now, when it's not during a competition, a collector shows up at an Olympian's house and an athlete's house with less than an hour of notice, so it makes it really hard to cheat or to tamper or to switch samples or to do something. You know, they say, I'm going to be there within the hour, they arrive, and then they take a urine sample. Of course, researchers and scientists are quick to say that no form of testing is 100% effective because the methods just improve all the time. But blatant drug use is not as doable as it used to be. Now, blatant drugs used to be used all the time, but because testing is increasingly similar, it's getting harder to do. But we can see how popular doping has been over the decades. I found this really interesting based on world records. So in the 1980s and the 1990s, the world records for power events, for strength, those were all set. And then in the 90s and the 2000s, endurance events Uh, world records were set. So those records reflect the doping practices that were available at those times. But again, it's subtler now. Microdoses can be taken right before a performance and then disappear from the body by the end of the performance. But athletes do take a risk. They hope to not get caught, but they do take a risk. I thought this quote from um, Michael Johnson, you might recognize that name. He's a retired sprinter, an Olympic gold medalist, but he said, sport is microcosm of society. So he's absolutely right. If we're willing to cheat in the world, we're willing to cheat in sports. It's the nature of who we are as fallen individuals. Um, who tend to put our hope in the things of this earth, uh, idols of success and victory and gold medals, and um, are willing to achieve those dreams by deception. So because doping has gotten so much more sophisticated, because it's harder to detect, and because it's likely that maybe 40% to 50% of athletes are doing something, depending on the sport, WADA, W-A-D-A, is trying to get much more strict, much more spontaneous, and less flexible and gracious with unusual circumstances. So they're really trying to clamp down on any suspected doping. So that's where the next two headlines come from. The first one is about Brianna McNeil. In 2016, she was the Olympic champion in the 100-meter hurdles. And last month, she qualified for her second U.S. Olympic team. But after qualifying, McNeil, who's 29, was suspended from the Olympics for five years for, and this is a quote, tampering within the results management process in connection with her missing a doping test two days after she had an abortion. So the story was, um, the story is sad. There's so many layers to it, but apparently McNeil said she was in bed recovering from an abortion back in January of 2020. And she did not hear the anti-doping official arrive at her house in Northridge, California. She had not planned to share publicly about her abortion, but now she wants people to know that the current suspension did not involve anything like tampering with a urine sample. So like I said, she was guilty for tampering within the results management process, but she wants people to know I did not tamper with a urine sample. She said, quote, I am not doping and I will never dope. So 18 days after that surprise visit to collect her urine sample, the testing agency asked McNeil to explain, why didn't you answer the door? Why didn't you answer your phone? We showed up to give you a drug test, but you didn't answer. 
Well, when the agency inquired, McNeil was not actually required to give them an answer, but she did. She went ahead. um, So basically, if you only miss one test in a 12-month period, that's okay. You have to actually miss three tests to trigger a doping violation. And she had only missed one, but she wanted to clear her name. You know, she has not been accused of doping. Her ban is the result of her, um, as they say, tampering within the results management process. So she wanted to clear her name, started to share with them more and more information um, in order to clear her name. So her ban is ultimately the result of her writing on the paperwork that she requested from the abortion clinic. So she asked the clinic for proof of her abortion, and they went ahead and sent a note documenting that she had indeed obtained an abortion on a specific date. Well, when the note came from the clinic about a month after the abortion, McNeil said she mistakenly thought the clinic got the date of the abortion wrong. So she changed the date from January 10th which is two days before her missed drug test, to January 11th, which is one day before the missed drug test on January 12th. Either way, she missed, you know, she had the abortion one or two days prior to her missed drug test. McNeil said, and I quote, I tried to keep the abortion private, but they just kept tugging and tugging at me, wanting more information. I couldn't believe that I was charged with a violation because I had the dates mixed up by just 24 hours. It's not like the procedure didn't happen. So in sum, she has been banned from the Olympics for five years, not for doping and not for tampering with her urine, but for whatever reason, um, just correcting or crossing out or changing the date on paperwork from the abortion clinic. So um, this may or may not be part of the question on her ban, but four years ago, McNeil was banned for one year from performing for missing three doping tests in a 12-month period. So different crime, different punishment, different situation. This was four years ago, but she did miss three tests in a 12-month period four months ago. Now, McNeil explains that two of those three times, she had forgotten to update her whereabouts in the system. And many athletes and um you know, even members of the testing agency say that the testing is pretty complicated, that the system is pretty complicated, that it is hard for all the athletes to stay up on the sort of red tape and paperwork all the time. And so apparently McNeil twice um, didn't update her whereabouts in the system. And then on a third occasion, she said she made a mistake entering the time when she would be available. But again, that situation is completely separate from this one. I'm just sharing it in full disclosure of what I what I was able to learn about her situation in this instance of this current Olympics, she only missed one test, which she attempted to explain, but she made a lethal mistake by correcting that date. And now she's banned not only from these Olympic games, but from the next one in four years, which is so tragic for this woman who is a gold medalist. There has been so much discussion about how some anti-doping authorities have shown in recent years that they will search for any tiny instance of wrongdoing, even if it doesn't prove that the athlete was doping. So in other words, they just really want to clamp down. They're getting very strict. The fairness of some of these tactics, they say, is debatable. You know, those within the testing agency say, well, it is debatable, especially when an athlete has made what is clearly a mistake. So this whole um, situation with Brianna McNeil, just so tragic on so many levels. Of course, 
I feel like the real tragedy in the whole situation is that McNeil felt like she had to have an abortion to realize her dreams. Back in January 2020, she took the life of her child so that she could pursue her Olympic dreams six months later. Of course, we all know now that COVID um, delayed the games last year and that that baby could, should, would be alive right now. Um, and maybe McNeil would be on her way to Tokyo for these games. I don't know. McNeil has said publicly that she is a Christian and she feels very guilty about the abortion. My heart absolutely breaks for her. My heart breaks for all of us, for our, our whole nation, for us as a people, for the whole situation that, um, you know, we are a culture that prioritizes dreams and lifestyles and statuses and titles above the life of the unborn. And I do think it's tragic, but of course, I have also spoken and believed so deeply in God's grace and mercy and forgiveness for abortion. And um, that's something I've written about extensively as well. Of course, I'll link those resources in the show notes as well. But just the whole situation is honestly needlessly tragic. There's a second doping headline that has gotten a lot more coverage. You probably already know what I'm talking about. It's Shakari Richardson. So Richardson's just 21. She's easily recognizable because of her bright and bold style. And she qualified for the Tokyo Olympics after running the 100 meter in 10.86 seconds at the U.S. Olympic track and field trials. Her style and speed and just sort of her youthful fun has made her a fan favorite. But after securing her spot in the games, she tested positive for THC. That's the chemical found in marijuana. The United States Anti-Doping Agency sanctioned her with a one-month suspension, leaving her out of at least the 100-meter competition in Tokyo. Now, I watched an interview of Shikari on the Today Show, and it was a great interview. I recommend you go take a listen. She explained her marijuana usage, saying that the death of her biological mother which had happened one week before the trials and which, by the way, she found out about from a reporter. Um, it was a triggering event, she said, that left her in a state of emotional panic. And so she went ahead and used marijuana as a means of coping with that terrible news. But I was so impressed with her interview on the Today Show because she totally owned it. She was like, yes, I knew that marijuana was not allowed. I knew at the time that I was taking that that I might undergo testing for it. I knew it was the wrong thing to do. She apologized multiple times to her family, her friends, her sponsors, and even to her haters, as she said. So just really appreciating and admiring her willingness to own her sin and apologize for it and just say, yeah, I did it. And it was the wrong thing to do really made me admire her that much more. She also said, this is just one game. I'm 21. I'm very young. Unlike most, I have plenty of games left in me to compete in. So there you go. We can look for Shakari in the future. And maybe she might be able to participate in a team event like a relay when her one month is up. Um, and then I loved a tweet. She tweeted out on July 1st, I am human. And I love that. More of us could stand to realize and tweet out, I am human. Um, and just a side note, Beats by Dr. Dre dropped, dropped an ad starring Richard on Tuesday night of this week. And they set the ad to a new song by Kanye West, which will be on his next album. The one minute piece includes a chorus um, of a new Kanye song, which says he's done miracles on me. I enjoyed watching that one minute um, ad and I think the song is fabulous. And I'm just a fan of Shakari and that particular one minute. So I'll link it in the notes. You might go take a look. The song is definitely catchy. It's been in my head ever since. 
So anyway, all that to say with both of these doping stories, both with regarding Brianna and Shakari, both women did indeed violate the letter of the law, but I'm not sure that either one necessarily violated the spirit of the law, right? Like Brianna, she messed up the paperwork, but it was her first, not her third missed test in a 12 month period. So a doping investigation didn't even need to be triggered, but she also really should not have taken the chance of writing on the evidence that she was going to be submitting to the agency. And I I understand they want to be very strict. And with Shakari, I mean, I'm no marijuana expert, but I think it's clear that um, THC would not have been performance enhancing, but rather performance diminishing. But I get it. The um, Olympics want to clamp down on doping, and that is a good goal. And I get that they want to be more strict. Um, But what is really discouraging to me is juxtaposing these two stories with that of welcoming Laurel Hubbard into weightlifting against women. I mean, talk about performance enhancing. Laurel Hubbard went through puberty as a boy, and she therefore gained bone density and muscle mass in accordance with male biology and physiology. Now, that is truly performance enhancing. So why does the IOC have the door wide open to biological men? who want to compete against and dominate women, and yet so aggressively go after athletes who are clearly not doping, but have made some mistakes. This double standard really does frustrate me. Well, the last headline I was going to quickly share, it's not actually from the Olympics, but I did not know that until today, and maybe you don't either. So out there, if you're out there, raise your hand if you've heard about the women's beach handball team from Norway refusing to wear teeny bikinis in a competition, and they instead showed up on the um, beach court wearing spandex shorts. When they arrived at their bronze medal match against Spain, they wore shorts, not bikinis, and the team was fined about 2004 for not conforming to athlete uniform regulations. The scandal has been all over social media, and rightfully so, especially after a photo of the men's and women's handball teams were shown together where the two teams are side by side and the guys are in baggy tank tops and shorts. Of course, athletes, broadcasters, and women everywhere are rightly calling the situation sexist, gross, unfair, you name it. But again, raise your hand if you thought this scandal happened with the Olympics. I totally did. But no, this is not Olympics related at all. This is the European Beach Handball Championships. And lastly, raise your hand if you had to look up what in the world handball is. New sport to me. Anyway, uh, hopefully those ladies can wear all the clothing they want to as the European Beach Handball Championships continue. As I sign off from this episode of All Things with Jen Oshman, let me just say, go Team USA. I, for one, am excited to tune in the Olympics. I will definitely be keeping an eye on especially Simone Biles. She might just become the first woman to win back-to-back Olympic all-around titles since 1968. And of course, I'll be watching the women's soccer team as I have played soccer for 15 years growing up. It was my sport. So I'm excited to see what they can do. Um, They have reached the gold medal match in five of the six Olympics since women's soccer even became an event. Um, And they arrived at these games unbeaten in the previous 44 games. That's such an awesome streak. But they lost their opening match to Sweden. It was a huge upset earlier this week. So I'll be keeping my eye on those women, hoping for a lot of victories. And then, of course, like I said, I'm going to keep my eye on two rock climbers from Colorado. 
Brooke Raboto, 20, of Boulder, Colorado, and Colin Duffy, just 17, of Broomfield, Colorado. Um, Lots of luck to those two people. Well, friends, enjoy the Olympics, and thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.